0: This morning, before we head off into a book of the Bible, that'll be my plan where we'll just go through a book and we'll do some sermons through that. Before we get to that, I want to do a special message and I might do another one, I'm not sure yet. I want to talk about some foundational things from the scriptures that I believe can say a lot about our church. So I thought it'd be a good idea this morning. The title of the message is God's Will for the Church and You. So, God's Will for the Church and You, and here's where this is going, hopefully, I thought, let's look at and say, what is God's will for FBC web sitting? What What does God want our church, our specific church, to be and to do? Here's the thing, I can tell you, I know God's will for this church. Now, that is not because God told me in a voice. It's not because I have some superior ideas or intellect. Quite the opposite, I don't. I know because the Bible tells us what God's will is, and that's what I want to look at. You could say, well, but wait, the Bible never mentions FBC Web City by name, so how can I possibly say I know God's will for this church because it's in the Bible? Well, if you hang with me, I'll get to that in a moment. As I continue to pastor here, what is going to come up is we're going to get more used to each other, and then I'm going to have some ideas and some plans and some strategies And if you're like Bruce and and Denny, they're going to have some. And then if you're a a leader of some ministry team, you're going to have some thoughts and ideas and we'll get to that and we'll talk through those things and they'll be wonderful. But for now, before we get to details, I thought, let's look at foundations, the building blocks. So right now, let's start and say, what does the Bible say before we get to plans down the road? What does the Bible say God's will would be for this church? Now think of it like you're building a building. I'm, I'm not a builder, so I have a very limited understanding, but this is how I understand how it goes. Before you build a building, before you build the walls or the roof, you have to start with the foundation. If the foundation is not right, if the foundation is wrong, then as you build on that wrong foundation, you're going to have further problems with the building. So let's start with the foundation. Before we look at details of God's will for the church, what are the foundational matters? God's will for this church. Now, here's the thing. As I thought through this message, I realized God's will for this church that I believe the Bible says it is the same will God has for you individually and for me. So I'm calling this message again, God's will for the church and you. I said, I know God's will for the church. Well, the irony is, again, the same will God has for the church is the same will he has for your life. So this morning, don't just think, well, this is only talking about our church as a group. It's not. It's really talking about each of us individually. So you can ask yourself, okay, what is God's will for me as I sit here today? And that same will for you and for me is the same will for this church. Why is this? Because churches are not things. I mean, think about it. A church is not anything in and of itself. What are churches? Churches are individual Christians that come together and make up a church. So whatever I'm saying God's will is for this church, it's the same will for each of us individually because we make up the church. Like a chain. Have you ever seen a a chain with the links? Well, each link does its part and it fits together and makes one longer chain to do its job. So each of us this morning must take the time to make sure that you and I individually are carrying out God's will for our own lives first, and then when we come together and we're being obedient to God's will in our individual lives, that makes our whole church carrying out God's will as an entire church body. So remember, this is God's will for the church and you. If we get this right, I believe we can rest assured God is going to be with us when we do get to a point where we start to make plans and have ideas as a church. And if you and I as individuals get these concepts right and follow them, we can have confidence that God will give us the wisdom we need as a church for things to do for Him. Now, let's get personal. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life, for you individually? Christians oftentimes will seek God's will. I used to obsess over this. I mean, obsess over it. I would get stressed wondering, what does God want me to do next? Where did he want me to go to college? Who am I supposed to marry? What career should I set off into? And I would get going in a direction, and then I'd second guess, maybe I made the wrong decision. Not about my marriage, haven't second guessed that, but maybe careers and school and things, I've been like, what did I make the right choice? What if I'd have done this? Would it have been better? Who knows? I used to stress about that stuff. What does God want from me? What am I supposed to do? When we say God's will, that's typically what we are talking about. People usually mean, have you found God's will for your life? They're saying things like, what do you think God is leading you to do next week, next year, five years from now? Where's God leading you to move to next or a job to change maybe or how to raise your kids or what decision to make with your kids or in retirement? What's God got for you now in that season of life? We usually mean specific, practical things when we talk about the will of God. Churches do the same thing. What does God want for our specific church to do to reach our community? What kind of church does God want us to be to reach kids or families? And on and on it can go. But the interesting thing about God's will, it's it has different layers to it, I believe. So real quick, before I get into the heart of the message, I want to just, as fast as I can, explain how I believe God's will works first. That'll be important because it, in a moment, I'll hold that thought. But here's three ways that, Professional theologians, these are the guys in the seminaries and the Bible colleges that do nothing all day but read the Bible and think about theology, they've made some categories that they believe the Bible teaches. There's there's others, but there's three big ones. So let me tell them to you real quick. There's the first kind of will that people talk to God has would be his sovereign will. So Bruce had that song about God is the king of kings, he's lord of lords, and he created everything. Well, that means that God is the highest authority. Whatever God decides to do will happen. Nothing or no one can stop it. So God has a type of will that he and he alone says, this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to happen because I said so. Some call this his will of decree. Like a king, God, kings make decrees and it happens. Well, God is a king, the ruler of all the universe, and he makes a decree and it happens. Think of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. He decided to create, and he did it. And then you read the verses, and it says, God said, let there be, and then what? There was. That's God's sovereign will. He said, let it happen, and it did happen. Nothing stopped it. Now, some, here's the tricky thing about God's sovereign will. Some of it is known to us. He reveals some of it, but some of it's not. Now, some of God's will he reveals, for example, in the Bible... He will judge the world for sin and rebellion, but those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. If you read the book of Revelation, that's God's future plans that he's revealed to us. The second type of God's will, some have called it God's spoken will. Now this is a category of God's will where he tells us humans exactly what he wants of us. The biggest example of this is the Ten Commandments. They clearly say, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall. there's all that stuff. All the rules, all the laws, all the commands, that is, that is a part of God's will. That's God saying to you, this is what I want for you. These are the actual rules and commands that follow. Now we have a choice. We can disobey that part of God's will, but there's consequences. So that's God's spoken will. The third type is God's permissive will. This is a category of God's will where he has desires for us That we, for example, follow his rules, his commandments, his laws. But God may, for his own good purposes, allow for things to happen. For example, murder. Murder is wrong. It says it in the Ten Commandments and all through the New Testament. Don't murder. But murders happen. Happen all the time, right? God's permissive will can allow for even sinful things to take place. Like a murder. That doesn't mean God wanted the murder to happen. It doesn't mean he liked that the murder happened, but it does mean that he will use that sinful thing and redeem it for a greater good that fits his eternal plan. A biblical example of this is the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you remember Joseph's story, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into jail wrongfully. And until later on in his life, he rose to the position of being second in command next to Pharaoh. If you read that story at the end of it, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph himself said this to his brothers, what you did to me, you meant evil against me. So they did wrong. They sinned. But he said this, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive to this day. So Joseph acknowledged that part of God's will. God didn't like that his brother sinned against him, but God allowed it to happen for a greater purpose to come through Joseph. So those are kind of the three categories, real quick, of, of God's will. So now let's dive into what do we mean today when I say God's will for the church and for you? Which, which part am I talking about? We're really getting at a part of God's sovereign will, his, his plans here, his will of decree that he has told us, this is what I want the church to do. There is a part I said earlier of God's will, his sovereign will, that we don't know. Some of it we know, he tells us in the Bible. Some of it we don't know, though. Most of the time as Christians, I think we're probably concerned about God's personal will for our personal individual lives. The challenge is God doesn't always tell us that. He doesn't lay out for you in the Bible your specific name, where you should live, who you should marry, what he doesn't lay all that out. So we're kind of left to pray through that and wonder, well, God, what do you want from me now? What am I supposed to do with my personal life? Well, when we ask these questions, we're trying to tap into that decree part of God's will, what God has decided for your life, who you're to be and where you're to go and to work and do. For example, does God want you to be a teacher? Does he want you to be a butcher or a candlestick maker? Some of you may be retired. Well, what does God have for you now in that season of your life? Paul could say in Colossians 1 1, just as an example, he said he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So there's that personal part of God's will. Like, where does he want to move you around to in life and want you to be and do? Like, Paul could say, he called me to be an apostle. That's the type of thing we're typically wondering about. Now, I have bad news for you. I do not know that will of God for your life. I, I don't have that kind of knowledge. I can't tell you with authority what God wants you to do tomorrow and the next week? Does he want you to move jobs? Or I don't know those things. Okay, God does. And it is our job to use wisdom and to seek prayerfully that part of God's will. That's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. So if you're hoping for that, I'm sorry. I, I don't have that kind of intelligence. But there's another part of the will of God we are going to look at. God's revealed will is what we're going to look at. What has God told us he wants us to do Black letters on white pages in the Bible. In Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, Moses said this, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So God has a hidden part he hasn't revealed, but the things revealed we're obligated to know and to do. So let's look at God's revealed will as the focus of our message this morning. Paul says in Colossians 4.12, he mentions a man named Epaphras, who is one of your members, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in prayers, this is the key phrase, that you, and he meant the church at Colossae, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. God doesn't want to keep you in limbo, wondering what he wants from you. That's not what he does. I say he doesn't reveal everything that's true, but he also doesn't want you, like I used to be, obsessing over, did I make the wrong decision? What does God want me to do? Paul says, no, God wants you fully assured that you're standing in his will. There are things, then, that God has clearly revealed to us that are his will for us. We're obligated to know what these things are and faithfully commit to follow them. So that's the part this morning I'm going to focus on when I can say God's will for you and for this church. It's the revealed Will of God. So, how does God primarily reveal His will to us? The Bible, God's written word. This is the main way God reveals His will to us. The Bible is the key. The Bible is God's word. So when you hear, when you read the Bible and you meditate on it, you're hearing from God. It's as if God's speaking to you through pages. So to first know God's will. If you want to talk about details, like what does God want for our church? What does God want for my life? What do I do next? If you want to know those things, the personal things, that I can't tell you what those are, you have to start with the basics, which is, are you looking for God's will revealed in the pages of the Bible? Because there's principles there to follow, and once you get the foundation right, then you can start to have wisdom to know what God personally wants for you. The same applies for our church. So, Let's look at this here this morning. It's just going to be two points. Real simple, hopefully, and we'll walk through them. Let's look at what the word of God says are some key categories we must know and follow to be in line with God's will as a person and the church. So this morning, then, what is the first part? The Bible says that God's will is for you, for me and this church. It is God's will is that you be saved. God's will is that you be saved. Now, that sounds basic. We're here, we're church people. You say, well, of course we're saved. That's why we're here. But again, think about this for a moment. That's where it starts. God's will is that you be saved. It starts right there before anything else is talked about. God's will for each of you sitting here, for me, for our church together as a body, is that we be saved. God wants each of you to be forgiven of your sins and have eternal life with him. God wants each of us to know Jesus as our personal savior. By placing our faith in his death on behalf of us as payment for our sins and to believe that he rose again on that third day with proof that he was God and he's overcome death. And by faith in him, we're forgiven of sins and have hope of eternal life. That's what we mean by saved, salvation. Well, that's number one of God's will for every one of you, for every human being on the planet, is that they be saved, forgiven of their sins. Some scriptures for this, Isaiah forty five twenty two. God said, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. He said to Israel in Ezekiel 18, verse 23, this is God talking, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his ways and live. You can say, well, if God's purpose is for everybody to be saved, then why doesn't he save everybody? Because we've all chosen sin. God says, I will judge people for their sin. Yes, that's true, but I don't delight in that. I want them to be saved. He goes on in Ezekiel eighteen thirty-two. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. In Ezekiel 33, verse 10, God says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How can we ever live? Say to them, God said, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back and turn from your evil ways, for why will you die? So again, just to stress over and over in the Old Testament, God wants people saved. In the New Testament, same thing. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter three nine, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So I believe the Scripture is clear. God is a God in the business of saving people, and He wants all people to be saved. So that is the start of saying, am I in God's will for my life? Well, I don't know. Number one would be, can you say here today, yes, I know I'm a child of God. How? Because I've put my personal faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My sins are forgiven, and I know I'm a child of God and will live forever with Him in eternity. That's number one. If if that is not right about your life, then everything else we're going to talk about, to be blunt, it doesn't matter. You have to get the first thing right first, and that's, are you saved? God's will for your life is to know that you're saved from your sins. So have you done that today? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Do you know before you leave here today and we we go about our business and we go eat lunch or whatever it is you're going to do, do you know before you walk out the doors, yes, I'm a child of God today. I am saved. It starts there. If you're not saved, the rest is going to be off. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I can tell you with confidence you're living outside of the will of God. God's will for your life is that you be saved. Now, what about the church? That means God's will for this church is that we be a saved church. What do we mean by a saved church? Saved individuals will make up this church body. Now, now hear me clearly. Guests are always welcome. We want guests. We want visitors. Absolutely. But only those truly born again through Jesus Christ, truly saved, truly converted, can we call our brothers and sisters in the Lord. That is what makes up a real church. I know churches can often be lax on preaching the gospel. They try different techniques to draw people in. They, they change the stage. They, they change things with lights. They change how the tones of the messages are. They, they change all these things. And they may not be bad things, but they do things sometimes to, to draw people in. Well, what can happen to churches like that, though? They may get big crowds, but they have a mixed membership. There's, there's members that might really be children of God and members that aren't. Well, how can that be? Because they're there for other reasons. They're, they're not there for the gospel. They're not there for the word of God. They're, they're there for something else that drew them in, that appealed to them. That's why we as a church body must always be focused on ensuring we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only truly saved individuals make up a saved church. So God's will for your life and mine And the life of this church is that we know and are assured we are saved individuals, born again, forgiven of our sins. And then we now have a saved church. Now, the next one, this is the point number two, a little longer, but I'll be quick. What's the next part of God's will? Well, if the number one is right, you're saved, you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're born again, then you move to the second part of God's will. God's will is that you be sanctified. So that's the second part of God's will, that you be sanctified. What is sanctification? That's a big word. We don't go around saying stuff like that. Typically, people might think you're crazy. Like, hey, by the way, have you been sanctified today? They're going to think you're probably nuts. You don't talk like that. But the Bible uses that word. So what does it mean? This is sanctification. Once you are saved, you're forgiven of your sins, you're born again. God's will for your life is now that you grow in spiritual maturity. By thinking more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, and doing more like Jesus. That's a simple way I view sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. Thinking his thoughts. Saying what he said. Having his attitude. His his responses to situations. And doing the things Jesus did. Sanctification means this in, in a more technical sense. The word itself in the Bible simply meant to be set apart for something specific. It typically meant that you would set something apart for use for God. Example would be in the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle. If you read in Exodus and Leviticus, you read about even furniture, the lampstand and this gold table and this gold thing and that gold thing. God would say, these are holy. Well, the word holy is also another word for sanctification. Well, how can a furniture be holy? All that meant was God said, this piece of furniture is not for common use. You don't go on this table and just eat on it. It's only meant for worship to God. Or you don't just go light lamps, any kind of lamp on this lamp stand in the temple. It's only meant for worship to God. Uh, The piano, for example, in a church, we could say in a sense this piano over here is holy. Well, that doesn't mean the piano is without sin. It simply means, however this piano got here, the intention for that piano was it only be used for worship to God. That piano has been set apart for worship to be used in this congregation. You don't let you know, anyone on the street, for example, come in and say, I'd like to practice my secular music and on the piano and I'd like to play that in the church, you probably wouldn't like that. You say, No, that piano is for believers to use for us to worship God with the sounds of that piano. So that's a, a simple way of saying it's been set apart. Well that word sanctification or holy, think of that as a person. God says you're to be holy, you're to be sanctified. That means you and I are to be set apart not for common use. We're to be set apart, wholly dedicated for God's use. So that's God's will for your life, to be completely devoted and set apart for Him. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus said this in His prayer to God about the disciples. John seventeen seventeen, He begins, Sanctify them in your truth. So Jesus used the word. He prayed to God the Father, God, sanctify the believers in your truth. Again, set them apart, make them pure. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus' prayer for his followers were that they be set apart for the truth of God. Now, here's where I'd like you to turn with me now. Let's let's look at a passage together. If you would go to First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is where Paul gets real direct about it. So First Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. This is where I'm getting this idea. I know for a fact God's will for you, for me, for this church, is that you be sanctified, that you be holy, that you be set apart. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now verse 3 is the key. He says this very bluntly. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So that's where I got my point. How do I know God's will for us? That we be sanctified. Paul said it. What is God's will for your life and mine that we be sanctified? Paul says this is the will of God for you, your sanctification Now, here's some ideas that he shared with us. What what does Paul mean by sanctification? If you look back in verse 1, he says how you ought to walk. That means live your daily life. How you should live your daily life is in a manner that would be pleasing to God. That's a part of what it means. Am I being sanctified? Well, ask yourself, am I living my daily life that would please God? And then he goes on again. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, at the end of verse 3, he actually gives an example list. Because we could ask Paul, Paul, what do you mean specifically by how do I know I'm being sanctified? Well, Paul says it kind of starts with things that you don't do. If you look back at verse 3, he says that you abstain from some things. And he gives an example list. The first one, he says, sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Again, holiness, same idea as sanctification. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, God's will for your life and mind is that you be sanctified, that you be holy. How do I know I'm being holy? Are you walking a daily life that pleases God? Are you abstaining from sins? Are you, he gave an example, are you sexually pure? Are you sexually moral? Are you walking in honor and in ways that please God? Do you have your body and your mind under control in a way to please God? This is how we take part in being sanctified. Now, here's the thing about sanctification. It is a lifelong process. It will continue on until we die or Jesus comes back for us. You will never, I will never be 100% sanctified until we're in heaven. There's some debate about that in Christianity, but that's my belief. It's a lifelong process. You'll grow in it more and more, but we won't fully get there 100%, but we grow into it. Here's here's how I want us to think about this. Salvation, when we say you've been saved, salvation is a one-time experience. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are saved from your sins. The Bible uses the language you've been born again. That's a one-time event. You don't get born again and again, and again. For example, you're born again one time. If, I mean, it feels real and authentic. You can say, what about people who, you know, they got saved again? Well, those are people probably saying they weren't really saved in the first place, but if someone has truly come to faith in Christ, they are born again, and that's once for life. That's it. You don't need more salvations. However, sanctification is different. When you become saved and born again, sanctification starts. Sanctification is, is the opposite. It is a continuous process for the rest of your life it is a process of overcoming more sins it is a process of growing in spiritual maturity well that's not something that happens once and you're done you grow into that i want to share with you some definitions i found from one of my my books in my library that i thought were helpful so these are this is a theologian giving some definitions of sanctification sanctification is the ongoing that's the key ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue a forgiven, justified, righteous sinner from the disease of sin and to conform them to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good works. So you're saved, but then sanctification takes over. And that is like the author said, an ongoing work of God growing you to look, talk, say and do and be more like Jesus Christ in your daily life. That's something you'll keep growing to for from now on. Another definition. The triune God not only declares his children righteous, but also progressively, that means more and more, progressively makes them righteous, setting them apart for himself and freeing them from the entanglements of sin. That's the process referred to as sanctification. It does not happen in a moment. It is an ongoing work of God throughout the life of the believer. So again, sanctification is a process where the Holy Spirit works from inside our hearts to make us more righteous, to overcome more sin, to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, how do we become sanctified? How does it happen? Again, I want to give you another definition I like. Although sanctification is first and foremost a supernatural work of God in a person's life, it also requires the active cooperation of the person through faith, obedience, and submission to God's work in their life. So I think that's the key difference with salvation and sanctification. You and I did not do anything for our salvation. We did not take an active role in our salvation. You may say, well, what about our faith? We had to place faith in Jesus. That's true. But Paul himself says faith is not a work. So what I mean is we didn't work or earn our salvation. God saved us by his grace. We placed faith in him, but faith is just us admitting, I can't save myself. God, you have to do it for me, so I'm just going to trust that you will. Now, sanctification is different. It takes a little bit of a cooperation between us and God, as the author said here. God does the work through the Holy Spirit, but you and I have to also be active in prayer, reading of the scriptures, being obedient, trying to overcome sin, and God works through those things to grow us into more holiness. So it's not something we just sit back and say, God, will you make me more holy tomorrow? Well, he will, but what are we going to do to make sure we're getting there? That's the idea. So let me mention some tools that God gives us to grow in holiness, to be sanctified. The Holy Spirit does the sanctifying, making us holy, that is. But again, our job is to sort of yield ourselves up to him and let him do that process. But there's practical things that that we do. The first one I I would point to is prayer. God gave us the gift of prayer, and we should see it as a gift. Think about that for a moment. The God, the creator of all the cosmos, these space telescopes are discovering distant galaxies out there we've never seen before. The creator of all of that and more than we've seen dared say that you and I can talk to him, and he actually hears us. I mean, doesn't he have more to do than hear me whine? Of course he does. But God says, but if you're my child, I hear you hear you. That kind of a God has given us the privilege to talk to him and have confidence he hears us. But are we active in prayer is the question. That is a part of us taking in sanctification. Are we talking to God and having a lifestyle of prayer? The second one would be Bible reading and meditation or thinking on the scriptures when we're reading them. Bible study, you could say. So prayer is talking to God, but being in our Bible is learning from God. That's kind of the hearing back from God part. That is God speaking to us through the pages of Scripture. So we have to have prayer. We have to be active in our Bibles to learn the mind of God and know God more. Then there's fellowship with other believers. This is where the church comes in. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in being held accountable to make sure we're all on the path together. There's strength in serving together, to being discipled together. Then you read in places like Ephesians 6, there's the armor of God. God gives us this spiritual armor to wage a spiritual battle. But the question is, again, are we using it? Then God gives us spiritual gifts. Each of you, Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 would say, have been given a spiritual gift. God gives those things to us for us to take part in living out our Christian life and be holy, be sanctified. But again, we have to use those tools. We don't just sit back and say, God, help me to pray more. Well, guess how you pray more? You pray more. God, help me to uh, be in my Bible more. Well, it doesn't just happen. Guess how you do that? You get in it more. That's kind of the cooperating part. But as you and I do these things, God works through us and grows us to be more like him. So that would be the question for us to ask ourselves. How well are we using our tools to grow in holiness and sanctification? Ask yourself, what is your prayer life like? How consistent is it? What are your Bible reading habits? do, Do you pick it up once a week, twice, once a day? Are you actually trying to hear from God through the pages of Scripture? We cannot expect to grow in our walk with God if, and become more holy if we never talk to God and listen to God. Prayer in the Bible. We have to have those things. A weak prayer life and an inconsistent Bible reading life will make for a weak and inconsistent Christian too. They go hand in hand. What about your spiritual gifts? Are you serving through the church? Have you sort of discovered what you think your spiritual gifts are? And are you using them in service to the Lord and to help this church? And hey, if you don't know that, get with me. I'll, I'll gladly help you pray through that. There's some tools you can use to try to help you discern what your spiritual gift might be. We can work through that. Have you, can you say over the course of this year, for example, so far, that you've overcome sins that used to really bother you and be a habit? Can you say you're overcoming more and more sin in your life and you can point to evidence of spiritual growth? Those are signs of sanctification happening in your life. Now here's the results. If you look at Galatians 5, we'll look at a couple more passages to be done, but in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, this is how you know I'm growing in holiness, and I'm being sanctified more and more. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, plural, the fruit, singular, meaning you have to have all of these to say you have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 22, Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So one of the things we should be able to look to is say, how do I know I'm growing in holiness? Look at these character traits. Do you see them growing in your life as a person? Can you say you're marked by more love, more joy, more peace, more patience with people, more kindness, more self-control, more gentleness, more goodness, more faithfulness? That's how you know you're growing in holiness. If not, then we evaluate. Okay, what is holding me back? from growing in this holiness? What sin am I not overcoming? What am I not repenting of before the Lord to let me grow? The next one is in Romans 12. Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. The other result of being sanctified is you will realize you are a transformed person. Romans 12, 1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in this passage, to just mention a couple of things, Paul is saying one of the ways you'll know you're being sanctified more and more, you're becoming more holy, you'll be a transformed person. He says in Romans 12, 1, Do you present your body... Your, your physical body, the actions you take, do you actually offer that up as a living sacrifice? Do you have sins under control, physical sins? Or are we being sexually pure? Are we being morally pure? Do we honor God with our bodies and our actions? Paul says that's how you take part in sanctification. And once you do those things, he says, don't be conformed to this sinful world. And here's what's going to happen. Your mind, your thought processes, your actions you take, will become transformed. It's like your mind becomes new all over again. A mind that thinks God's thoughts, does God's things. So, we have to ask ourselves, can you say your life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Can you say this morning your life is transformed and you are looking more and more like Jesus as time goes on in your life, and you look less like the things of this world, the way the world thinks, the way the world talks, what the world listens to, what the world watches... Are you putting that behind you and being more like Jesus Christ? Can you see growth in your spiritual life? Are you overcoming sins? Are you getting closer to God? Can you say your mind is being transformed? Do you think more like Jesus and less like the world? Are we using our tools to be sanctified? Now, here's the big thing to mention. Now, if you've been wondering how you can know God's personal specific will for your life, there is a key to this, I believe. I told you I can't tell you what it is, and I can't. But I believe I can tell you how to get there. It's this way. The major result of these things we've been talking about, if you are faithful, you make sure you're saved. You know that beyond shadow of a doubt. And you are taking pains every day to make sure you're growing in holiness. You're more sanctified. You're faithfully following the Lord with your thoughts, your actions, your deeds. You're praying to God. You're in the Word. You're not perfect, but you know you're growing and becoming spiritually mature. If that's true about you, here's what will happen. Paul said in Romans 12, 2 here, if you look again at it, he says, once your mind is renewed and transformed, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and pleasing to him. So if you have wanted to know, God, what do, you, what do you have next for me in my life? Should I change jobs? Should I go here? Should I do this? The first question to ask is not those It's God, am I faithfully living a holy life that pleases you? What sins, God, have I not confessed to you that I need to repent of and overcome more and more? As you do those things and you're taking in the Bible and you're praying, God is working through your heart and mind. So then when you have a personal decision to make and you're wondering God's will, it becomes easier. It's almost as if you'll know what God wants you to do. You'll have the wisdom to make a decision. I can't tell you what that is, but you'll know through being a mature, spiritual Christian, what God wants you to do. So, the question then again as a church, are we a sanctified church? That this is God's will for the church, that each of us focus on our personal holiness. And then, as we work together as a church, we are sanctified and a holy church that pleases God. That means practically that when we have big decisions to make down the road as a church, if we're doing these things individually... As a church, we're going to be more in tune to discern God's personal will for our church. My hope for us as a church, as your pastor, is that we'll be a church committed to the gospel and to getting the gospel out to all people, but also that we would be known as a church of true, authentic Christians. I'd love to be out in town for people to say, oh, you go to FBC Web City. while well, you guys really care about the lost. You guys are the real deal. You're truly following Jesus, and it's evident in how you, you live your lives. It's evident in how you raise your families. It's evident in how you talk to people, evident in how you go to school, how you do your job. I just want people to know that about us. So God's will for your life is that you be saved and that you be sanctified. God's will for our church is that we be a saved church and a sanctified church. Can you say today you know you're in God's will? Are you saved? Have you been forgiven of your sins? How is your journey on the path of sanctification? We're not going to be perfect, but we should be able to say we're on the path and making progress. How well are you using your tools, prayer, the Bible, spiritual gifts, the armor of God? How well does your life measure up to the fruit of the Spirit? Can you say your mind is truly being transformed? If these things are true of each of us, then we will be able to discern God's personal will for our lives and for this church. I want to invite you to take time and reflect this morning. I'm going to pray, and, and Bruce, and then will be here. So I do want to offer a type of an invitation. Here's what I'd ask of you when they start to pray, or play, excuse me. I'd like you to reflect, and I invite you to do a couple of things. Truly ask yourself, are you saved? If you need salvation, come talk to me. We can talk through that. We'll make sure before you leave here today, you know what it means to be a child of God. If you have sin in your life as a believer that you haven't overcome, then today lay that before God in prayer. Confess those sins to God. God, I've been harboring this sin. I've been hiding this in my life and it's holding me back. God, I confess that to you so I can grow in more holiness. Maybe you've been lax in using your tools. This is the time to confess things to God and commit to progress this point on. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the privilege to speak your word. Thank you for these people who made it here Who came? I ask that Holy Spirit, you would have spoken to ears and hearts here. That you would have said something to someone's heart this morning. Lord, if there's someone here that maybe they thought they were a Christian, they thought they they knew Jesus, God, but they're not sure, would you just have them come and to get these questions settled to know beyond shadow of a doubt that they are truly a child of God before they walk out here? And God, if we know that we are saved... We know we can start following your will. So, Lord, would you guide us as individuals and as a church body to focus on our personal holiness, to focus on using our tools to follow you more and more? Lord, this morning, myself included, if there are, are things we know that we've been hiding in a dark closet of our heart and our minds, sins that we've been, been just toying with and hiding from other people, but you know them, Lord, would today be the day that right as we, we stand in here Bruce and them play, we would confess these things to you and get on with more holiness. In your son's name I pray, amen.